Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Today, we are joined by guest uh, Charlie Mosley from ChengduLiving.com, and we're excited to have him here because he actually interviewed both of us about a year apart, and recently he released his podcast with Luke, and uh, those are great podcasts. I really enjoyed both of them because you're a very good uh, interviewer, uh, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it made it easy for me, definitely. Yeah, Thanks yeah. very much. Happy to be on the other side of the table and to be a part of this podcast. This is crazy. People who are listening to this or watching this can't see what I can see, but this is quite a room you guys have made here. <laughs> there are cameras and lights all over the place. It's an impressive production. Thanks, man. We're working out Phil's spare room. It's working pretty well so yeah. far. Yeah, we've been doing that so far. I think sometimes people think we're like a quite a big operation. This is my second bedroom. That's you know where we're doing all this <laughs> yeah. stuff. So I feel like I'm at the mothership. Yeah, yeah. So it's a special <laughs> occasion for me. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to expand. Like, you know, we used to, I used to be in the, like, my little study, which now I've turned into my drum And that, uh, was, drum that was actually where we did our first podcast with Charlie, which we, well, Phil didn't record. I'm yeah, Phil. I, I'm so embarrassed at the amount of times that I've had those <laughs> types of things happen. The most recent time that it happened was when I moved, got everything correct on a camera, but I had to move it to another part of the room and, like, the settings I had somehow deleted and i was like oh every time it's a hard the last one was an enjoyable conversation i'm sure this one will be too so uh, (laughs) no harm done absolutely so you have been living in Chengdu for forever longer than us um tell us about like when you came here and you know why you decided to stay because like like many people you have the story of i only came here to for this period of time i'm only planning on staying here for like six months or whatever how did how did you end up deciding to stay here well i originally planned to come for three months so that didn't work out the way I thought it would. Um, I came in the mid-2000s, basically just looking for adventure. Mm-hmm. I thought that China was a really weird place, and yeah. it would be fun to go to a really weird place where I didn't understand what was going on, and it was very confusing and perplexing and a real challenge to figure out. Mm. And I found kind of exactly what I was looking for. China's super weird. It's less <laughs> weird now, you know, like when you spend a lot of time here, especially when you learn language. I mean, learning mm. language is a really key instrumental part mm. of figuring out what's going on in China. Yeah. But it's kind of an enigma, you know, to figure it out. Even after spending all this time here. Actually, I just recorded a podcast last weekend with someone who's been in China for 30-plus years. Wow. Yeah. And so he has authored multiple books on this, on China. And he had an interesting quip, which I identify with completely, which was a little bit derogatory to people who are, like, visiting China. He's like, people come here for a week and think they have it all figured out. Mm. And people come here for 20 years and have no idea like what's going on. <laughs> and I found that to be – there's a lot of truth in that because yeah. kind of the deeper you get, the more you realize that things just don't add up the way you think they do. Yeah. And I think that's because we're Westerners and, you know, China has such a weird history. You know, I mean it's mm-hmm. the, the whole uh, dynasty system along with communism. It's a strange combination. Mm. Absolutely. So understanding what's happening with Chinese society is a real challenging puzzle to figure out. But it's also really engaging and stimulating to be exactly. in a place yeah. where you, you constantly have to learn and grow. And if you don't, then just China defeats you. You know, we tend to, <laughs> I think, always – and sometimes we're not even conscious of it. Uh, it certainly has happened to me several times where I realize, oh, I was lo- interpreting this situation, something I'm seeing. And I didn't even realize I was looking at it through a completely Western lens without – you know, so because it's just natural, of course. I grew up in America. So it's like you see certain mm. things and you assume that – it, but it's like how many premises of the society and the language for that matter are different at a very basic level. So it's like if you have any like logical syllogism of this will happen, if this happens, if this happens, if you change one of the earlier parts of it, that can change everything. And so like I always think that the things that are different, sometimes they're they're very basic. You know, it's like they're very basic 
fundamental differences in how the world is viewed or how how much different a society would be if it was not a country of immigrants but instead one of the oldest civilizations you know ever and it's like you know where what's your lineage people ask that all the time in america like what's your ancestry and it's like here it's like Mongolia. Chinese. Yeah, no, no one ever asked that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> questions that are never asked in China. Just going to edit that bit out in case we have any Chinese listeners. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So anyway, so um, yeah, the Mongol. Well, um, have you guys ever been to Mongolia, by the way? No, I'd love to go. I had one of our good friends, Sam, stayed there for a long time. Um, I went there for the first time um, to Inner Mongolia. Yeah, uh, a couple months ago, mm. and had such a great time. One thing which was a little bit unexpected is how much Genghis Khan is revered there. Mm. There are oh, portraits yeah. of him like all over the place. Like everywhere you go, there are references to Genghis Khan and to horses. Horses are like the symbol sure. of Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like how it's like, wow, you still have your culture, you still have your history. That's yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like Genghis Khan's one of those guys who like, is so long ago that everybody interprets what he what happened at that time, and they go, wow, it opened up all these trade routes, and they look at all the economic changes, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, don't forget though, for the yeah. people who yeah. were alive at that time, it was terrifying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was what they say. It's just long enough a long uh, time ago to like be treated as like, a, oh, that was a great thing that happened in a way. It was like an amazing thing. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. sort of. It was like you know Alexander the Great or whatever. And I'm sure he did horrific things as well. But it's Alexander the Great, man. You know. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. His his achievements are bloody and impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I spent yeah. a month in um, uh, the second largest city in uh, Inner Mongolia called Alto, which is um, a very small city of two million people, because um, that's China for you. It really did feel like such a small city, and I'm like, mm. what's the population here? Oh, it's the same as Philadelphia, the city I'm from. Uh, <laughs> every, feels... Everyone knows each other like a small city in yeah. a lot of ways, you know. And it was it was pretty interesting living there. I was mm. just doing a, a drumming job there, and I was the only. Uh, foreigner besides my band that I saw the entire time. There was actually a guy who was on his e-bike ahead of me when I was riding a, a little 100 quad bike I bought for the month I was there. And when I passed him, he crashed because <laughs> he <laughs> looked at me and was like, oh my God. He's like, la why? <laughs> He's just really so, attracted to you. you know? Well, you know, I mean, that's uh, who could blame him. All right. So um, one, other, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is how Chengdu living. So is it correct to say that it is the most trafficked sort of blog about specifically about Chengdu and, like, uh, life in Chengdu? Um, it's the longest-running one. Mm. I'm not sure if it's the most well-trafficked. I, I would guess I that it is, but I'm, I'm not sure about that, really. Yeah, so tell us about the development of that and, you know, how that so came in, to So in 2010, I kind of had the idea, it's actually 2009, I had the idea to do a blog, which was a first-person account of what life in Chengdu was like. Mm. And I didn't have any intention of being a journalist or anything like that. Mm. Um, it was really just intended to be a blog writing about what life is like in Chengdu. And I started this project with uh, one of my good friends whose name's Sasha Matuzak, mm. who's a well-known American writer who was living in Chengdu at the time and ha had been in Chengdu for a long time. He was the first foreigner I met who could read, speak, and write Chinese. Mm. Mm. And that blew my mind. I'm sure you guys have, a lot of people listening to this have probably had the experience where you first encounter a foreigner who can do those things in China. And you're oh, like, yeah. wow, that's possible. I sure had it. Yeah. yeah like when sure. the first time I saw it in Beijing, I was like, whoa, like it's really cool. Right. So mm -hmm. Sasha was that guy for me, really impressive uh, person. Also an amazing writer, wrote for The Economist and a number of other publications wow. online and in print. Actually used Chung to Living as a platform for writing for a lot of those things. Vice as well, it's a big time writer for Vice China. Um, but we decided to start this project together and I built the website and he was kind of the, the best writer involved. He had experience as a writer professionally. So we wrote about various things, um, aspects of life in China, um, you know, interacting with police, uh, 
you know, getting a visa, interacting with, um, you know, people who run restaurants, talking to them about life in Chengdu, culture in China, things of that nature. And it just turned into a really fun project, a great way to explore what was happening in China. Hmm. So it's like you want to go outside and kind of solve some of these mysteries. We'll get out there, start asking questions and write down what you learn. And it was a really enjoyable, you know, personal journey, which I was able to share with other people. Mm-hmm. So it started in that way. We did that for a couple of years, maybe three, four years. Sasha had two kids. He kind of made plans to go back to the States, ended up doing that. Uh, we worked with a dozen or so kind of freelance writers in Chengdu. Many of them were American, mostly were American actually. And they wrote stories of you know their particular area of interest, be it music or art or what have you. Mm-hmm. So there've been a lot of contributors over the years. And then we started a podcast and that's been sort of the main focus of the website over the last couple of years. Mm. And just because a podcast is pretty easy and enjoyable to do, mm. you know, to have interesting conversations with sort of unusual or special people, what I consider them to be in Chengdu. And there are mm. a lot of those. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's been a lot of fun. And it's, you know, I kind of feel like I've explored Chengdu to a level of satisfaction. Mm. I don't have the same hunger to like get out there and be like, what's going on here? Just because I've been here for so long. Yeah, yeah, sure. I feel like I've answered a lot of those questions and basically all the low-hanging fruit has already been harvested. Mm -hmm. So, But the podcast is still really engaging and enjoyable for me. So that's kind of my main interest. That's the best way you can kind of dig deeper into some of the, you know, it's that it's not low-hanging fruit usually. It's like, oh, what came out of your eight years of experience of living in China, podcast guest? You know, it's like that's going to be always more interesting. Yeah, my relationship with it has definitely changed since I'm no longer in a what's going on in China kind of phase. Right, right, yeah. I must say since I um, started, I started about a year and a half ago, uh, getting into a habit of uh, running, distance running. And I mean, you know, not like necessarily marathons. I think I'll run a marathon at some point, but just, you know, 10 miles or something like that. And one of the things that it's opened up for me is, you know, when you run down the river towards the south and towards the global center and all of that, you just see over a year how much, how quickly it's developing and how, like, you know, especially southern Chengdu is. Uh, really nice because it just was it's relatively newly developed it wasn't something that started uh, developing even you know I think about 10 years ago if you were in southern Chengdu there wasn't much happening like it was a little bit of something but you know now you go down there and it's um it's incredible because they're making Chengdu like the park city and uh, the greenway the the rules for it it has to be 500 meters wide of all park during this in this like uh, concentric circles around the city kind of like a ring road of park Wow. Right, and uh, they're not finished with it yet. But man, when you go down there, you're like, "This was such a good idea." You know, like just have this section. It's like you can't build businesses here. You can't build. This is purely for parks and like people to have that. And I'm like, "Good. This is what a city needs." Because what I worry about with Chengdu or like, well, with any big city, is that people get too focused on the fact that it's convenient being in a city and like, you know, so therefore we're just going to put everything and smash everything together. It's like they're making sure, no, you still need to have a, some spots where they're you overbuilt. feel. Chinese cities are overbuilt completely. Yeah. Uh, well, this yeah. is a sign of um, a city's natural development. I mean, London used to be the same. You mm-hmm. know, like any, any major city today uh, used to be the same. It's all based on industry, 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 making money, you know, yeah. employment, whatever. And then they were, oh, actually, no, we need to make it livable as well. Yeah. Like, well you have a, so I think you have they're a similar, just getting into that now. In the United States, you have a similar design in a lot of prominent cities. Mm. Um, a lot of cities are made for livability, walking, bicycle lanes, things like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the most dramatic examples of this is uh, Central Park in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's so large. It's so expanse. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just this incredible 
plot of just sort of pure nature yeah. right in the middle of the most valuable <laughs> cool. real estate on the planet. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing that that area has been able to be untouched for such a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so like what it, you know, and in classic China fashion, this uh, this Chengdu Greenway project is going to have Chengdu having the most area of what is considered, you know, public park land in the world of any city, which is just so cool. Um, that's amazing. And it's, it's not surprising because China's the country with the most population and they picked Chengdu like they're, they're planners. They're like, yeah. all right, Chengdu is going to be the one and they're going to be the Muoban um, for the whole whole country. That's going to be the, the livable Bumyang. one. The rest of them, like rat race city. Yeah, just concrete jungle. But people love Chengdu. It's like every, it's got consistently wins the happiness surveys. I mean, I don't really know how they do those, but it's not surprising to me though. You can see why people in Chengdu put such a priority on quality of life and yeah. you just don't see that in other yeah. places. Definitely relative to other cities, I imagine. I mean, yeah, I mean, you always see someone in the street just playing a game or, you know, like a, just just chilling, and just enjoying life even if they're not like aged. <laughs> you know, they're still they're still like uh, taking a break. You know, they, they, they'll queue up for three hours on a Friday night. You know, they'll spend three hours of their weekend queuing up to eat a specific hot pot. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Actually, one of the restaurants directly beneath my apartment has become one of those. Oh, cool. Where people stand in line and, like, hang out for hours on little plastic chairs. Mm. Yeah. And kind of nice. cool. I mean, they're, like, eating peanuts, like, hanging out, smoking cigarettes, kind of seem to be having a good time. It's kind of a neat vibe. It's almost mm. like people waiting to get into, like, Coachella or something. It's like a sort of outside of the concert line vibe. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know... Uh, one of those cultural things, you know, because that's what Chengdu has managed to retain is they've retained a distinct and you know, defi somewhat definable culture. I mean, obviously, a culture is you know a very vast thing, but you know, one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of the there's a, there's a sort of bunch of YouTubers who uh, are living in China and they do YouTube channels about living in China, and I've noticed that a lot of them who are particularly negative live in Shenzhen, and I think that that's because that's a new city that doesn't have its own defined culture. And so if you take that away, it becomes like this sort of purely, like we're just purely tech, we're pu purely business. The whole reason anybody comes here is because of, you know, economic opportunity, which isn't to say that that's a bad thing, but it's like the culture, there's no definable culture. You go to Chengdu, it's like, oh, this is, this is a clear culture. And it's like people kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say that they revel in it, but they, they are very proud of it, and you know, as they should be. It's like you need to have quality of life. Shenzhen has to be the most dramatic global demonstration of a mega city with no soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually, I, I, I passed through. I've never, I've never had an impression of it like that. I, I, it's, yeah. it's, it used to be a fishing village, like very. I thought it was like the recent. wasn't it the first city that was developed by Deng Xiaoping? Like Deng Xiaoping said, "Yeah, this is the first like." So I imagine it would be the trip. most developed. Like, why isn't it as far along as say Chengdu in that respect of like? No, because the culture of Chengdu yeah. goes back thousands of years. That's right. So like, it's like it's the, it, well, I'm talking like cultural development. They probably Shenzhen's almost definitely more economically developed than Chengdu because they're like the tech center of Chengdu, and in some case, in some cases. Is, uh, sorry, the tech center of China, and in some cases, it's getting close to being the tech center of the world. So it's uh, there's right. definitely a lot of economic development. But well, in terms of the culture, is just pointed at a fishing village on the map, and then decades later, it has 20 million people in it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I see. I didn't and it's that. right next to Hong Kong, so it's like you got in, in it's near in between Hong Kong and Guangzhou. So it's, it's like the mainland Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, also known as Nong Kong. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. I'm learning so much today. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the stuff we've been up to at Mandarin Blueprint, and then uh, get a little bit into um, something that we tried to do, that we did yesterday that was quite interesting, and you observed. So um, 
recently we've been continuing to upgrade our character order and uh, uh, that is something that is a really fun challenge. It's like we're basically trying to expand the order out to enough characters so that you're for sure going to cover the HSK 4 by the end of it, but also – you know, not seeing the HSK as being the main purpose of things, because while the HSK is, you know, you kind of have to address it because it is the only standardized test. It's not. There's so many things about it that we find to be a bit too academic and too like focused on the wrong sort of priorities. We're in touch with the reality in a lot of ways, in the yeah, reality yeah. of learning Chinese and speaking and using Chinese. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So we've been kind of using these uh, lexicons of just billions and billions of characters and, and searching through them, trying to figure out what's the best way to present this and all that. And it's really uh, fun and exciting work. It's uh, mentally taxing, but it's also... We're learning you know, a lot as well doing it. Like, oh, yeah. 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 That, that's that common? Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And so we've been working on that, and that is something, you know, it's going to probably still be a bit until we can like officially expand the course but it's uh it's very exciting because we want to mm. keep going until we get to the point where somebody could use mandarin blueprint and uh follow our materials and our you know hopefully cooperating companies and be able to pass the hsk uh six from beginner like that's the kind of a, a goal in our in our in our minds about our eventual that. goal is uh hsk six from zero in a year Oh yeah, Jeez. yeah. I, I mean, think it's, that's. It's, I think it's that's ambitious. I think that's going to be. It's, of course, it's ambitious, and then like a lot of people listen to that, like, ah, it's rubbish. But I genuinely think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's possible. That's like, like Neo in the Matrix, like loading him into the white room where he's just like, I, I know, know kung fu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. You guys should do that as like a promo. Like, but hey, you, know, you got like, if you you got to shoot for the stars and you might hit the moon, you know. So uh, that's uh, and I, I but I think that we could actually. Out the yeah, system with that. and I mean, well, that is, you know, of course, when we're saying that, what we're saying is, uh, you know, the person who is committed to it, right, and doing several hours a day could do it of in course, a year. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, one thing that people will tend to do is they'll look at something like a claim like that, and they'll assume that what we mean, I guess, is just sort of, I don't know, relaxingly looking at it for a bit. And what we're hoping is that if somebody relaxingly looks at it for a bit, that they can do it in like three years or something like that. But man, you know, it's I all about just, the hours. since our last podcast that we recorded, I took and passed HSK six. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. you. Pa- sorry. What, you pa- I'm fishing I was, I was... for compliments and, and congrats here. Sorry. That uh, was that's well done, man. I had no idea. What I wanted to say, though, is that that thing is really hard. <laughs> I took HSK 5 and thought it was easy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. HSK 6, There is a damn. big difference between the HSK 5 and 6. That I was I was, uh, I was swearing quite loudly when I did my... <laughs> I'll, I'll to be honest with you. Like, like... There was like a Tibetan guy in front of me just laughing because I was like, I, I was just, I was dropping F-bombs because I was just like... How am I going to know that? But I completed the entire – I've been using Clothesmaster yeah. since one of you guys – I think Luke recommended it to me, someone. Sure. And I've been using yeah. that for a year. Mm. And I went through the entire HSK 6 sentences mm. in Clothesmaster. Wow. And I also, like, memorized – I didn't complete the HSK 6 thing there, but definitely dozens of hours in that. Yeah. And even with all that, HSK 6 was still a challenge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, the thing, the, the, I think one of the biggest challenges about the HSK 6, I believe it applies to 5 as well, is that it has a list – but really, it doesn't really. The list doesn't apply that much. It's just you have to just have a certain number of words. You could almost say it's like this is the bare minimum to even stand a chance of of passing this, but you still probably won't. You know? yeah. <laughs> but like the, the, even though they'll have words that obviously in the HSK six that almost definitely won't come up in the HSK six because it's somewhat randomized. So I'd say when it comes to the HSK six, it's not necessarily about making sure you know all the words in the word list, just make sure you can read a novel. No, just yeah. try your best to read a novel. I mean, we talked about it before. Yeah. Um, I remember like one of the words in HSK 6, which I still have not seen in any Chinese book, is portrait. It just hasn't come up by yeah. chance, right? Xiao Xiang, 
right? It just has it. But that's one of the HK6 words. Yeah. So it yeah. seems so random when you think about it like that, isn't it? Well, there's yeah. so many words that just come up. I mean, you guys just really laid it out, like in you know the introduction to this topic. And I learned this myself years ago. The only class I've ever taken learning Chinese was an HSK5 prep class, mm-hmm. which was years ago. And I remember taking the class, and I got listed. Uh, we were going through vocabulary for the test. And so I'm trying to integrate this vocabulary into my everyday life, mm-hmm. trying to use it in conversations with my mm-hmm. girlfriend or with Chinese friends. And I was finding it really difficult. And I went to the, the tutor, and I said, hey, I'm trying to use this vocabulary. And he kind of laughed at me. And he's like, oh, ha, ha. He's like, you can't use this. Like, don't be silly. This is like book Chinese. Yeah. He's like, this is stuff you're going to use for the test. And you're not going to yeah. use it for anything else. And I'm like, so why is it on the test then? He's like, this is how tests work in Chinese. It's yeah. like we, we study things which we're not going to use, and then we forget them after we pass the test. Well, and yeah. I'm like, well, that sounds like really pointless. And he's like, well, I see why you feel that way. Well, that's and pretty I was much like, the I'm going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like totally lost interest in HSK and didn't actually go back to HSK 5 for – Years, mm. yeah. Before I finally got over, like, okay, yes, it's basically pointless. Stop sulking. But, yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> fine. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'll learn. This. But that's how exactly how we feel about putting the words from the HK in the thing. Like, we know that people, so many people need them. Yeah. Know, to pass certain exams, so that's why we put them in. But we're kind of doing it begrudgingly. We're like, okay, fine, we'll put it into my. Yeah, HK. yeah. Well, I felt like <laughs> HSK five. At least you're like reading you know, remotely real things. You know, I mean, I don't read many Chinese books, but I read a lot of Chinese articles. Mm -hmm. And HSK5, I thought, was like relatively realistic Mm -hmm. in terms of things you'll read, vocabulary, sentence, you know, uh, grammatical structures and so on. And HSK6, I just did not feel like that. Maybe it's because I'm not reading like PhD theses or something like that. Like maybe Mm -hmm. there's some, Mm -hmm. some body of Chinese written work which I'm just not reading. But man, that was a difficult test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when, what we've here, like an example, uh, there's several examples. Like what I have up on my screen right now is a bunch of new characters that we're going to have to uh, teach in order for people to be able to pass the HSK4. Like, or at least we can say we've covered all the content in the HSK4. And so, like, the problem is that there's a lot of characters in Chinese that only really get used in one word that is of any kind of frequency, like kusso, which is the word for cough. And it's like, you're not really going to see that, the, especially the second character. You're not going to see that that much in anything else. So the character frequency is low, but the word frequency is high. So it's kind of like it's it's a bit of a one of the challenges we always have to be considering is you've got the components from underneath the character and you've got the words above the character. And you, you, you look at a frequency list, but it still requires like human intervention and mm-hmm. thinking about it logically and going, okay, well, despite the fact that this character has a very low frequency, if you just look at it on a pure frequency list, we still got to bring it up because it's in this important word. And sometimes mm-hmm. the HSK4 made me realize that. But then other times I'm like, why is this – why is badminton – a word that you have to know for the HSK four. It's like you know, okay, because it's a little bit popular in China, but national I mean, sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. So yeah. you know, anyway. So which one? Which HSK is Tongzhi in? Which I don't HSK? know. No, which HSK level three, it's in? I believe. Maybe. Yeah. Comrade. Comrade. And now gay guy. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Okay. Cool. So. That so we've been working on that. Uh, we've been working on some website updates. Um, and yeah, we're, you know, we're, we've been you know we've. We've been aware of the slow speed of the site for a while, and we are really sorting that out now. Um, yeah, because yeah. we've been putting so much content on, including images, and not really thinking about the the space that we're taking up and stuff. So, but we're sorting that out, and it's a boring t- boring topic to talk about. But well, let's it. talk. Let's it's let's use sorted. that as a transition to talk mm. about this. So, yesterday um, we did something that is like, you know, it was 
something we should do because we're a Chinese course and we should communicate with the people online who are interested in Chinese. And, but we were very reticent to do it for a long time because it's uh, kind of somewhat intimidating to do. But we posted our course and everything that is it's about onto Reddit, you know, Chinese language subreddit and Chinese subreddit, and then also onto Chinese forums. And I'm sure that anybody watching this can understand why we might have been reticent, because in the case of Chinese forums, it's because there's a lot of people on there who are just like incredibly good at Chinese and very discerning and like, you know, and, and also any forum anywhere people are a bit more anonymous a lot of the time. So, you know, it'll be maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit impolite or something. Out of curiosity, and, did you guys just finish this course? Because it sounded like the course is done after three years. What's mm. the timeline for finishing the course? We released it on January 2nd. Okay. So like as a thing you could get, but we wanted to, when we released it, we were still sorting out some of the later parts of uh, phase five mm. and phase four and phase five of the course, which are like basically levels 21 through 36. Did you guys intend on releasing January 1st and missed by one day? Uh, well, no, nah, no, nah, we didn't. We actually intended to release it in like autumn, but we got okay. delayed a bunch of times. Um, we did consider releasing it January 1st. I think that I was too hungover from the New Year's, uh, <laughs> New Year's that's party. Really, that's believable. Uh, Chungu so, Living launched on January 1st, 2010. Oh, nice! Yeah, really satisfying launch date. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely quite, quite nice. I moved into this apartment on January first, and it's like, yes, good start to my new year, yeah. new new place. So um, you got a newly launched program, though. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, it took Thanks. a long time. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we were teaching it live uh, using like uh, chat software online for a long time, and of course, live mm -hmm. in person in Chengdu for at least a year, and then online for another year, and um, yeah constantly updating the material and now it's obviously better than it's ever been um we've done some incredible updates to it and it is awesome 1975 really 1, lessons at the moment mm. uh and it will be expanding and there is also uh improvements we're going to make to the current iteration but right now we think the priority is moving beyond level 36 but you know, and getting more characters out there so that people can pass the HSK4, and then we'll keep going from there. And, you know, we're, we're kind of in a constant process of doing both when it comes to content production. But uh, we had a beta test running for about four or five months before we released it, so we had maybe a, like 120 people or so who were in the beta test. Did the MB challenge as well. Yeah, the Manor of challenge. We had a guy who did it in 100. He learned 105 characters in two days, which was awesome. They were two full-time days, but still 16 hours to learn everything you need to know about 105 Chinese characters, how to write them, what they mean, what the opinion is, and what the uh, tone is. You got it done in two wow. days. As and, well as learning the actual system itself. Right, and the method, yeah. that's even the more important part. Because I once say, you, I know people who've been in China for 10 years who haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's true. Like, so, so anyway, so we did that over that period of time. So that's why on January 2nd, we did already have a bit of a following. So there were some people who immediately bought the course because they were already like looking forward to it. And then uh, you know we've had a couple of months. And so yesterday when we posted on Chinese forum, forums and Reddit, I was quite excited. I was like ready to spend the whole afternoon yeah. sort of responding to people and whatever. And you know overall, I think that the response was quite good. But I committed a Reddit and forum faux pas, which I didn't really realize because I don't usually – I've lurked on Chinese forums for a long time, but, like, I haven't had an account. And then I think that that may have been a mistake. But let me say first, though, that that, that post was a classic Mandarin Blueprint post. Yeah. What I mean is, like, it seemed like you guys spent 
so much time assembling that thing. It's like <laughs> extremely well organized. It's completely thorough, totally well thought of. Similar to like all your blog posts, hmm. it's like, damn, this is like really impressive, the, the organizational uh, level which you guys hit. So it, it looked like very orchestrated, very like well assembled. And I actually wrote it pretty quickly, but it's, it, it is true that it took us a long time because it's taken me a long time to be able to kind of think that way about our product. So it's like so you know, much stuff on Reddit is just so flippant, you mm, know, and mm. that is like the opposite of that. That is like think titles are bolded. There's like multiple paragraphs. <laughs> Everything is like very thoroughly done. I, I think the, the, the best example of it being flippant is the top rated comment right now, which is, uh, isn't this just an ad? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, oh, anyway. it's like uh, well, uh, yes, but <laughs> it's, well, it's like, also, it's not just, an yeah, ad. it's not just <laughs> it's an like, ad. Right. It's part of it. Yeah. It's a very small part at the end mm. where we're giving you a, a, a unique discount. Anyway. So the, anyway, well, the mistake that I made and in retrospect, it's, Obviously, it's so clear and I completely get it and I completely admit the faux pas here, which is that I was excited about it and we had some people in the course already and people who've given us lots of great feedback. Mm -hmm. And so I sent out an announcement in the course. There's this function on the course platform we use where you can just set up an announcement and they'll all receive an email notification. And I said, hey, you know, we're, we're posting this on Reddit and Chinese forums. Like if any of you want to share your thoughts about the course, it would be really helpful to us. Um, but of course, that led to you know, some of our students who are, in a way, I'm like, so kind of touched that they went through the process of making a Reddit account and like going on and then writing sometimes a few different paragraphs, a mm. few few paragraphs that were like these glowing reviews. But of course, now I see how that looks because it's like, oh, this is a brand new person who's just made an account and the only thing they've done is write a positive review. I can see how anybody would look at that and go, oh, this is just Phil and Luke, you know, writing this and like there's just fake and whatever. And I can, while I completely get it, Imagine it's, how it's dumb also you not have to true. Be to try and do that though. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking, like, how dumb do you have to be? I mean, obviously, people have done it before, like yeah. this sort of thing, yeah, yeah. because that's what they immediately suspected. But it's like, how dumb would you have to be to go and make a bunch of fake accounts with zero comments and zero history and just like think that people are going to fall for that, you know? So I was very surprised, as surprised of you, as you mm. to, but then again, thinking about. The, the 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 random person who's looking at a Chinese forum or, or whatever it is and seeing all those empty like those yeah. those people with these amazing reviews like they were like these I was genuinely moved by some of them because yeah. people have said great stuff about our stuff before but because it was like almost in defense of us as well and like trying to say hey guys I know these guys are new I was totally but they're great yeah. I, I, we, Charlie commented for us as well and like helped us out and I felt like. I was genuinely, and these guys are paying us, by the way. They're paying for our product, most of them, and they're still taking their time to write this, these amazing things about us. So that was great. I also yeah. got the email. That was how I was alerted to the mm -hmm. Reddit post and the Chinese forums post. And um, mm. I was surprised to see you guys get downvoted and to see like all the, all the pessimistic commenters you know I, I i understand a lot of it but some of it i thought was un, unnecessarily just rude and uh, yeah, well, cynical yeah. in a lot of ways you know but yeah i think like, i think you should like i thought about that i was like i know i'm going into the belly of the beast here by posting yeah. on reddit it's like, i expected it you know well, there's it's, there's anonym, yeah. anonymity i mean like certainly i try to follow the the relative the very reasonable uh, uh sort of principle of anything that i write i would want to make sure that i would say the same thing in person, you know, if mm. I were, and a lot of things that were said, I'm like, mm, I don't think you would say this to me in person, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. You know, I really, 
Because oh, a lot of times I try to get over the sort of sting of it because it sort of stings when somebody suggests that you're scamming them or that you're uh, like, you know, people saying there's all these red flags and, you know, I, it, it's, what, it's what clear the they red, haven't looked the into flag? it because like, if they – What red flags are there just out of curiosity? Well, from their perspective, it's that there's all these people posting and it's their first ever post and they thought that the reviews were too good. They were like it's oh, too – Oh, really? So that, they're, that's, they're what, that's what's actually review. really funny about it. Like this is what you said to me last night. Yeah. You were like – it's kind of ironic because these people love us so much, our product rather, not us, but uh, they love us, uh, our stuff so much that they actually went through all this effort to yeah, go and do yeah. it. And like, there was like uh, people that never had, like, they never used um, social media whatsoever, even Facebook. And they were creating accounts and trying to figure out how to use this website just to give us a nice review. Yeah. Were people and really then, making so, that claim on Reddit? They were claiming yes, that you yeah, yeah. falsified those comments? Oh, yeah. yeah vote yeah. manipulation and, uh, yeah. you know, and then you know, there was a couple of people who were super cynical. But what, you know, one of the things that I uh, uh, would say is that to the people on Reddit, I completely understand how that looked. And, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm sorry. I posted on Chinese forums the screenshot of the announcement and the back end of the announcement. One guy thought it was a blog post. And he, again, was like, he was like, so what? Did you delete the blog post? Because he couldn't find it on our blog. I was like, no, this isn't a blog post. It's an announcement in the course. It's, yeah. But, you know, I, I get the skepticism. And to the people who wrote us reviews, who made an account and wrote us reviews mm. on Chinese forums and Reddit, like – you're amazing and we really appreciate it because yeah. like I mean as I say it was such a weird experience where on the one hand you have people saying you're a scammer liar huckster <laughs> and then other people right next to it saying this has genuinely changed my attitude towards Chinese I believe that I can do it and uh, you know thank you so much Luke and Phil so I'll, at the end of the day mm. despite the fact that negative comments tend to always hold more weight with people uh, I tried to just remember that these are real these are actually what people think yeah. and so I feel like some know. people might resent the methods which you guys present because it sort of undercuts a little bit of the narrative that many people have bought into which is that Chinese is so difficult to learn it'll take you such a long time not any, not everyone can do it, you know, and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. you guys are here presenting a very contrarian argument, which is that anyone can do it. There's a logical approach through which you can achieve mastery in Chinese very quickly. I think that a lot of people are opposed to that message, mm -hmm. particularly those who, mm -hmm. who speak good Chinese and have spent a lot of time investing in that. And so I can see why at the surface level, it looks like something that should be uh, treated with suspicion. Right, right. Yeah, and, and because I get that totally, like I, I thought about it, I was just like, if I can just, um, in Chinese, there's a good uh, cheng yu for this, shu shen chu di, which means like to like place your body in a different location, which is basically just a way of saying put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I was like, if I were reading this, you know, I would definitely be skeptical. Because but that's so why many, I tried to respond you know, with yeah. actual resources that we have and say like, look, here's the actual thing that I sent. And it was a mistake. Of course, this is how it would be viewed. But I'd also point out that if anybody wants to look at the Reddit posts and see like just look at the positive comments. Yesterday when I looked, there were three people who were brand new accounts. And then there was a bunch of people who were not new to Reddit. So like they, you can look. They have the whatever the karma points are. And I'm new to Reddit. So like I'm just learning all about that stuff mm -hmm. right now. But you can see, okay, like you and, and, and several other people, they clearly did have a Reddit account before. So, yeah. you know, it's not it, – it, you know, it's be very. I mean, can even you imagine got, how manipulated we, we, we literally can't imagine doing it. So we're, we're actually quite. We were quite shocked by it, weren't yeah, we? Yeah. Like, and but again, we understand. But also, uh, also is a testament to that. There must be a lot of charlatans out there. There yeah. are right. There, suppose, like, yeah. people that say, "Oh, I've got the new way to learn Chinese. Learn Chinese in ten days." And like, 
we put out there, I guess, a rather, what would you call it, suji, like a, a sort of phrase, which is just a sort of provocative sort of tagline, which is, we'll, you will learn 80% or acquire 80% of Chinese in three months. And that sounds very much like, be fluent in Chinese in 10 days, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, but that is... You know, there are, there are, of course, caveats to that. It's not a machine that you plug your brain into and it makes you fluent in Chinese or acquire Chinese. Mm -hmm. You have to follow our instructions. But if you follow our instructions, you will, anyone will, acquire 80% of Chinese, the most common spoken 1,000 words or written 1,000 words, whatever you want to look at it, in three months, depending on how many, much time you put in per day. And I can say that you, the quality of content which you guys are making is above like almost anything else that you find as far as like Mandarin language instruction goes. And I know you guys can't say that without sounding totally tactless, but uh, I'm not affiliated with you guys in any way other than I'm a, I'm a learner of Chinese and we're friends. But uh, the quality is just so high. You guys hold yourself to such a high standard of quality. And a lot of people acknowledge that and appreciate that and have you know, demonstrated that through their comments on Reddit and Chinese forums mm. and on your website through testimonials and other places as well. Right. But right. Um, it's, it's just really great. You guys are doing a great thing. I've said this to both of you before on my podcast, but I, I genuinely believe it. I know many people who are listening to this agree with me. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just great to see. So just keep doing your things and yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of things that we learned about uh, from people's responses that I think were really good, legitimate criticisms. And I want to make sure that like we – point that out. First of all, a lot of people mentioned the website speed. Uh, and, you know, one guy was trying to apply malicious intent on our part, like as if we were just, you know, so unaware of the fact that people have slow internet speeds. It's not that it's that we don't know about that stuff. We, we should have gotten we your know about Chinese. We know, we know yeah. a lot about Chinese and we know a lot about making a great product, like to teach Chinese, like courses and stuff. That's it. <laughs> we pretty yeah. much don't know anything else, and we're figuring it out yeah. along the way. And we, we actually yeah. already were addressing that problem, but it's yeah. more complicated than we thought. And so, you know, because we don't understand tech, we don't understand how the back end of WordPress works. So, like, we have to hire professionals to help us with it. And then we've sort of discovered that a couple people that we hired before didn't really do their due diligence, and we didn't have the knowledge to know that they didn't do their due diligence. So it's not, it's definitely not malicious intent, and we're addressing it. And we do realize it's a problem. Our website runs too slowly, and so we're uh, we. we we're just messaging with a tech guy today about this earlier this morning. And so By that way, was the first like thing. point out for people that aren't on our course, the course, the courses themselves have always ran very smoothly and fine because yeah, it's on a separate, it's a different, it's yeah. a rented platform, mm. uh, Kajabi. But uh, we're just talking about the front end, you know, like the blog and stuff like that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit slower. And so, uh, and we're going to work on that. And then the other thing is the free trial. Um, mm. This is something we were talking about before too. So the way that Kajabi does free trials, again, because this is a, we're, it's a third-party platform designed to help people make video courses, and it's very good. But because it's not our platform, it's a little bit harder for us to change certain things. So one of the things that we want to be able to change is the fact that it requires you to put in your payment information for a free trial. And uh, that's okay if you're already convinced that it's an interesting course, but it's not if you're just being like, hey, you've never heard of us before, go sign up for a free trial, and then you find out you have to put your credit card number in, like, it doesn't feel good. That and sucks so, for us, because obviously a lot of people are going to say, no, I don't know you guys, and I'm going to put my credit right, card right, in. Right. So we, we don't want that either, and we're trying to work with the platform to or figure out ways around that. So. Yeah, we have a way that we're going to do it, but it's a little bit complicated, so please bear with us, but we are going to get a solution that has a free trial that does not require any kind of payment information. Mm. Uh, it'll just be like a sign-up with your email so it would be as simple as that and so we uh we completely get that and we're gonna we're gonna change that and just but also just to be clear just so that people don't think that we're trying to steal their money because that's what i always worry about when people say this stuff like as if we're gonna 
be like, oh, nope, we got your money now forever. We will never do that because we have, first of all, it is actually a 10-day free trial. You just have, would have to put your credit card information in, but it does not get charged for 10 days. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a policy of the platform? I mean, yeah. you guys really have control over that? Because I'm, you, that's just standard, like, with free trials. Like, the way yeah. the, the yeah. model usually works is people sign up for a free trial, they forget about it, they get billed, and that's, like, how the service provider, like, makes makes money. Well, what that, I usually do, yeah. I guess this might be an issue for people who, you know, aren't familiar with how that works mm. or they don't have a credit card. But what I do is like sign up for a free trial, enter my credit card information and immediately cancel it. And then it turns off when the trial period's over. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. You can do that. But I mean, one of the things that we, we figure, hey, you know, that is a reasonable thing to not want to put your credit card information in because you're worried you'll forget or whatever. And so, so that happened to um, me with Webinar Ninja as well. We yeah, started yeah. a webinar. Those guys let me have, like, they, they charged me six months. I forgot about it. Six months later, I know it's a huge bill. And I was like, you actually charge? I told you I didn't want this. So I told them the day after the trial ended. I was like, oh, no, no. It was like actually a minute because of the time difference. And they still kept my money. That's know? how they make money. They're like relying on you for getting Yeah, it's like gym yeah, memberships yeah. Like yeah. Uh, in January. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I hate that. Yeah, that drives me nuts. But I would also get why people would be like, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm not going to give you my card details, guys. Right. And so, well, and also, but just another thing too. We've always had, since the course has been out for both of our courses, when the Pronunciation Mastery wasn't free, we had this. And for the Mandarin Blueprint Method, we have it now. Mm. Uh, it's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So like that's almost entirely to hedge against the person who accidentally forgot. So it's kind of just a wrap-up to all this stuff on, on Reddit and Chinese forums. It's like, you know, it was so interesting to see that happen. And, you know, sometimes part of the reason that I lost a little bit of sleep <laughs> last night <laughs> She's gonna hit you in the face, man. Yeah, I know yeah. that cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons that I, I actually lost a little bit of sleep over this last night was just because it's really uh, tough to 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 look at something that you're really you're trying to be genuine about, and then people say like not only that you're not genuine about it, but that you're intentionally trying to you know mess with people. It's like I, I know that it's completely understandable the skepticism, but it was like it hurts. I was like, oh no, I mean, like, yeah. But so, but it's all right, you know. Hey, you know, the, <laughs> to those people out there who are anonymous, here's our faces. We're people. We're human beings, and so like. We are really trying to do this and, um, and make not. this a good thing. Yeah, Charlie's a, a new Android <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, yeah, we just I don't paid even him, want to be paid right him now. off loads of money <laughs> with the mon money yeah, we don't yeah, have because um, we're still in the red. <laughs> I would also like to say it, this is not money. some um, faceless corporation with loads of money. It's two guys with a very very fixed salary yeah. trying to make Chinese easy and succeeding. By the way, making an incredible product. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're working our asses off, guys. Yeah. You know, it's not for everybody, though. You know, it's some, not some for people, everyone, absolutely. Some people are just going to hate on you no matter what. Sure. You mm -hmm. know, yeah. and you got to just, like, come to terms with oh, that. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And that's, that's fine. Like, they're, they're doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, see, when somebody says, you know, this product or this, this way of going about it is not for everybody, it's like we have had that in mind from the beginning of how can we make a product that is going to be the best for the most possible amount of people and, and within that structure, how can we allow for – different types of learners to uh, use their own way of going through it. We're more like, it's more like a structure and you can fill it in with so many things about yourself. But even with that said, of course, there's still some people who aren't going to be, uh, it's not going to work for. But to those people, I would say it's quite possible. The reason it doesn't work for you is because you have the wrong attitude. It's yes. very possible. And we, I'm not, I'm we, not saying it is, I'm saying that that could be the reason. You know, I, so. I feel the exact same way. We know somebody, uh, Austin who took your guys course and was like, you know, I just kind of didn't feel like it didn't work for me. And I kind of am skeptical because I think like 
well, did you really fully adopt it? Did you really commit to it? Did you really complete all the steps as they're outlined? And if you, if you answer no to any of those things, then the chance of failure is very high. Yeah, and, anything, I mean, this I is not like an easy endeavor, which you're embarking on. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, learning Mandarin is like a serious, difficult task. Mm -hmm. And if you're not really willing to like get down and do the work, then it's not going to, you're not going to see the outcome you want no matter what method you use. Yeah. And, you know, one person made a good point on here. They're like, you know, there's no avoiding the fact that you have to spend time and you have to be committed. And they kind of were saying it as if that's, it, it's like, that's the only truth to it. I think that that's true, but it's also kind of like the lowest resolution you could possibly have. It's like, sure, you have to be committed, but what if you're committed and you're doing the wrong thing? And like your, your method is not working at all. You to rote learning um, characters. Yeah, I'm committed to there. rote learning characters. You'll get there someday. eventually or you Ten could, years, you know, take at least. a shortcut. Um, so, you know, the mm. one of, our goal is to say, like, yeah, you can't change the fact that if you want to pass the HSK six, you got to know like three thousand characters, and you got to know how they make words, and you got to make, you got to understand the grammar structures. But if you never make, or I should shouldn't say never, if you very rarely make a, uh, a go down the wrong path, if you're going up the mountain, you very rarely so tolu, right? Then that means that you'll get there as quickly as possible within the constraint of the fact that you have to still learn 3,000 characters. And so that's what our goal is. But yeah, we're not ever claiming to be like, we'll somehow make the language smaller than it is. It's like the language is the language. <laughs> but you know, no individual step is difficult if you follow our course. That's the idea is that each individual video is like one thing. Come up with something that is going to represent this character component, you know, and then the next thing. Okay, now put that character component together with another one you've already learned to make this new character. It's like everything is like that. And so also yeah. the message of you can learn Mandarin quickly by following these steps should not be misconstrued as this is going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can agree with that. It's not like a, a trivial task to learn Mandarin, even if you have many shortcuts at your disposal. Right. It's like, so, you know, you could say, I'd be willing to say that at the layer of the individual thing that you're doing right in that moment, it's pretty universally easy, but it's like the larger picture is how do you keep doing it every day and how do you not get bored with it? And how do you, uh, make sure that you're staying on the, you're not like, I wasted way too much time. I think you, the, the sort of story is that you wasted too much time on individual vocabulary words. And I wasted too much time on individual sentences without moving into larger contexts, like, uh, like paragraphs and, uh, and, uh, stories and stuff. And I didn't know that I was wasting too much time on that. Like, cause how sure. can you? Yeah. It's like, there's it, a million ways you know. to get lost. I mean, like, right. and do the wrong thing. That's, spend yeah, time and that's a really good way. point. That's more the challenge than the actual language itself is, is can you stick with it and yeah. do it for an hour a day or two hours a day or whatever you need to do. So yeah, uh, try it out guys, you know, before, before make uh, any sort of rash judgments about it, try out at least the free course or, you know, Give us all your card details and try the, try the free trial so we can steal your money. You mentioned something interesting about the users on ChineseForums.com, which is this forum for Chinese learners. Mm. Where do these guys live? You know, because I feel like in Chengdu, the level of Chinese language ability among ex expats seems to be higher here than in like Shanghai or Beijing, mm. where it's a more transient expat community where people kind of come Probably and go. Probably true. That's interesting. So, but I think even the best of the best in. Beijing and Shanghai, like they're, they're, oh, they're no better, the best are better in Beijing of and course. Shanghai. You know? Yes, yes. But, but yeah, I would I get say what you're saying. on average, on average like you kind of need to speak Chinese just to get around in Chengdu. Right. I mean, you can get around in Chengdu without speaking Chinese. It's just not nearly as easy as it is in Beijing or Shanghai or Shenzhen or even you know Guangzhou. Yeah. But with that said, the number of Chinese speakers who speak really good Chinese in Chengdu is really small. 
there's not that many expats who speak really, really good Chinese. You two speak like phenomenal Chinese. I mean, my girlfriend has known you, Luke, for a while, and she knows that you run this business and you're focused professionally on, you know, mastering Chinese and helping other people do that. And she's like, oh, so he speaks like good Chinese or something? I'm like, yes. She's like, really, though? Does he really, though? She's like really skeptical, you know? Yeah, sure. So I like pull up a YouTube clip of you like speaking Chinese. She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh. yes. I'm like, yes, that's what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, I, but, hate I mean, being, that, I hate that, being built up. It's only, people are only going to be disappointed, I find. Uh, <laughs> no, you speak really good Chinese. And I mean, it makes sense because you've been focused on this for such a long time. And like, that's what happens if you have the right plan and you put in the time then your Chinese will be phenomenal and you're, you two are both like a good demonstration of that and yeah. I know that your course is all about that but you know I just find that living in Chengdu you just don't find that many foreigners who have that combination of the drive and the method to really master it and as a result I mean there's a, a million you know foreigners who can like order food in a Chinese restaurant because that's a very low bar yeah. but to, to really engage in deep conversation with Chinese people and have everything you say be understood and to speak, especially in the proper tones, which is the most difficult thing in my mind, that's uh, really impressive. And that's a small number of people that can do that. Well, you know, one of the things that you have to get to is you have to get to the point where you see the accumulation of your successes and you realize that you'll, you're going to do it. Like you'll, you'll succeed if you keep going. Right. And so it's that bit that point, that realization, everybody who succeeds in becoming fluent in Mandarin has this at some point. Like at the beginning, like, I don't know if I'll succeed. Maybe this is the hardest language in the world, right? So it's like they're unsure. And then at some point they go, oh, I'm going to do it. And I know for me that was when I really figured out how effective the character learning method was working. And then I saw how logical Chinese words were if you understand the characters. I went, oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to take them – you know, it's going to be many more – uh, maybe even years until I do it, but the path has become clear to me now. And so that's huge. And then, of course, there's all these successes along the way that happen. You know, the first time that you have a conversation with somebody where you get across a complex idea to them, and then they like they have a bit of a sort of um, enlightenment moment with what you're saying to them, or you make people laugh, or you do something of that nature where it's kind of like you're clearly connecting with another human being. That's huge. When When I was writing and figuring things out and going like, looking back at what I wrote and going, wow, Chinese. Like, <laughs> you have these moments where you like step outside of your body for a second because you can't necessarily see the gradualism day to day. But, you know, um, so that's huge. And the problem is that the way that most Chinese curriculums start, it's, uh, it's you never feel like you're going to succeed. Like you're always just like, this is so hard because the teachers are focusing on the wrong layer. They're focusing on boring things, you know, and it's like, we're just, our, our goal is to be like, look, the characters are so important. You got to get them, you got to get them down. And then obviously we've built it out from there into vocabulary and grammar and all that, but we're a character centric course. You know, it's like each uh, le- uh, category of the course is a character and we're like, okay, this character's next. Here are six lessons on this character. Here are words that it unlocks. Here are sentences that use those words. Here's the because that's the characters are the ones that have the most fractal connections to other aspects of Chinese. And like so sadly, uh, our teacher Yo Lao Shi was telling us that apparently in the 70s, there were or maybe oh, yeah. 70s, there was a bunch of these uh, American educators who were uh, criticizing the idea of teaching Chinese character by character based on American educational pedagogy. And <laughs> Yo Lao Shi was quite rightly saying, I think that you can apply that to other fields, but Chinese 
like, how are you going to do that when it's based on characters? Like, you know, it's like the, it seems like the, and then the Chinese really listened to them at the time. They were like, okay, well, I guess they're, they're the American educators and, you know, we're, uh, just now getting our universities open again in 1976. So I guess we should listen to them. And so they built up the system on that. And so, you know, he's always been an advocate for a uh, which is just like focus on character by character. And he was so pleased. He was looking at what we were doing. He's like, wow, we're the, we've come full circle. Cause it used to be that before the, uh, in like the fifties and stuff. And so was, do you guys have a sense for how Chinese people feel about your course? Have love you- it. Yeah, Love it. that's interesting because yeah. it's it's such a stark contrast to the conventional learning method in China. I wonder if some people look at it with sort of skepticism and doubt. Oh, or, well, anybody will look at it with skepticism at first, of course. But, you know, it, all it takes is like it's actually pretty quick, the the conversation. You just go like, hey, how did you learn characters? And they'll be like, oh, well, I learned them in school for you know many years, writing them over and over. And also I started out already knowing spoken Chinese and then connecting my but spoken But you guys Chinese. are effectively here like, that system sucks. And well, so it's a little bit of a leap for them to be like, you're we, right. We're bas- no, we we're saying that system wouldn't. Like that, we, <laughs> what we don't say is that system sucks. We say that system can't work for an adult who's learning Chinese as their second language because they're not going to just, mm. they're not going to do five years because it's like around age full five. Time. Yeah, yeah. full time, surrounded by Chinese and not even trying to, you know, like that's what a kid would do, obviously, just because of the natural state of being a child. And then and they're not going to then wrote, learn for another 10 years or however long right. it is until they've kind of gotten the characters down. Mm-hmm. So we have to come up with something else. And so we explain the method to them in English because, you know, they haven't learned Chinese yet. So they need to know how the method works. And then from there, they can use this mnemonic technique that memory champions use. They, they, there are a bunch of Chinese people who are into memory athletics, so and they're actually quite good at it. So very good at um, saying this, especially the, the kind of uh, isn't it? Their, their brains are actually slightly different because of learning to read Chinese characters all their life. Yeah, it's more it like visual. The, well, the parts uh, of your brain that are uh, the language centers that are lighting up. There are parts of their the brain I can't remember. Did which you guys part, ever but, think of doing like a parody video to advertise for Mandarin Blueprint by being like? Do the Chinese blueprint where you learn exactly how Chinese people learn characters, where you spend 15 uh, years writing the same characters yeah, 10,000 yeah. times over. It's like the time-proven, ages-old method. That would be really hard to make that without coming across as bitchy, though, wouldn't it? In the Chinese blueprint, <laughs> you'll well, spend it's five like, years listening to Chinese without understanding a thing. <laughs> sort of the, but wait, there's more. <laughs> After the, that, whole, the whole core of the pitch is really like the conventional way is not the best way. The best way is to forget about that and adopt these new methods to learn the fast, good way. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what <laughs> most Chinese people say, because there was this guy pointing out, he was like, uh, you know, the one of the super cynical guys and on Reddit, he was like, you know, these guys, oh, and it's made even worse after just like, you know, saying how skeptical he was of us. It's like, it's made even worse by the fact that they just started learning Chinese. And first of all, I was like, huh? I was like, what? Like, first, isn't, if we learned Chinese really quickly, isn't that exactly the person you would want to learn from? How did you do it? You know, like, it's like the Chinese person doesn't know how to learn Chinese as a second language as an adult. Like, they've learned it naturally as the natives. You know, it's like. Just started learning. You guys, like, four or five it was years 20, It was 2013. Like, the whole sort of premise of Mandarin Blueprint was we passed the HSK, two, or HSK 6 in two years. And so. Part-time study. Yeah, and even part-time study. I mean, it's like, well, if we did that, then. We wanted to show other people how we did it because apparently it was actually a Chinese forum post that made me want to do it, like shoot for that goal because there was this guy on there, you know, being a bit cynical and negative going like, it's absolutely impossible. You can't do it. And I was just like, 
all right, well, then I'm going to do it then. Because, <laughs> like, you know, don't tell me what I can't do. Anyway, so, um, you know, <laughs> I just thought – and I was already at that – yeah, yeah. Uh, I was already at that time doing uh, some – the character learning. And I was like, this is really working, like this way of learning characters. And so I was like, all right, well, if this works like I think it will, I think I can do it. And, uh, you know, uh, just to be clear, Luke and I both, like, you know, we passed it. <laughs> yeah, we're we not by a lot, guys. Test. We have never, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we have never said that we're anywhere near like the best in the world at Chinese or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's we just can. that we know how to get from nothing to something quicker than everyone else. We're right. pretty, we're pretty much everyone else. I've, I haven't found any method that's better. And yeah. like that's the only thing that I'm ever going to say that's like like 100 confident in that. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed on your website on the Mandarin Blueprint Method website, it says there's a patent pending method or methods actually, and I was kind of curious to. What are the patent pending methods? Yeah, yeah. Can you you can patent those? What I'm because I'm not so, an expert on what can be patented. Right, right. So what you need to get a patent is two things that are sort of um, well. There's two main criteria. The first is that you have to have an idea uh, that is not obvious to somebody versed in the art. So somebody who's great at Chinese education, it has to be not obvious to them, and you know. That, that one was easy because nobody's particularly done this this order and this uh, collation of all these various different <laughs> things. And, you know, um, so that part was easy. But then the second part is it has to be also not obvious in its implementation in something like an app or in the, in the modern age would be an app. But it could in the past could have been on a physical product or something like that. And so we essentially just wrote down in great detail all of the processes that we use to um, come up with this order to like, I don't know, it was like 12 pages long and no, it was like 20 pages long. And, uh, it was just, I was writing it all out. I was the lawyer was happy. He was like, Oh, usually the, the clients give me, you know, much less than this. But I was like, well, if we can get patent pending status and we won't be so worried about people stealing it. Um, you know, it's mostly defensive by the way. Like if anybody's thinking that we're going to go after it's people. It's the Mandarin blueprint way. He like, huh. I spent three hours in flow state. Here's a uh, 40 pages. <laughs> it's like, Oh Jesus, what? <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's mostly to do with the fact that like we were just worried that if we put something out there that's really effective, but we're a small company as again, two guys, you know, what if a big old company out there goes, Oh, that's great. We'll just, um, boop. We'll just take that. And so we wanted to have at least something defensive in place. And so the idea is that the order and how we uh, came up with the characters and the words and the, and the um, not as much the sentences, but how we knew the order, what it would be. And uh, so to some degree, the uh, system we were using for the um, character learning itself, it's all sort of a part of it. But the main thing is that we actually have to get started on producing our app uh, within a year, uh, which... Hopefully, we'll be able to afford and be able to do by then. But uh, mm. once we start the process of implementation, that's really what the patent is about. It's more about like you can't make an app with these exact sort of this order and this you know way of uh, approaching it. There's the nomenclature and all that stuff. So yeah, that's what it's uh, that's what it's all about. Semi-related question: Have you guys thought about applying this methodology to other languages or other subjects? Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, obviously, the, the character learning method is separate. Um, but it could be applied to you know, Japanese as well, uh, to a certain degree. We could, but it would sort of involve us having to learn languages first in order to do it. To well, that won't be hard. <laughs> <laughs> Three months, eighty percent, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, we were thinking, yeah, but it can apply to you know, uh, like say Spanish, for example, like uh, acquire these these words and, and move into sentences, and and yeah, it could be. But it would, we'd have to do a, quite a big overhaul. It'd be a big time investment we're not thinking about doing it right now let's put it that way 
Like we're gonna, like we just want to solve the problem of learning Chinese. I think that's a big enough mission, mm-hmm. yeah. and then um, that should hold us over for five or ten years, <laughs> and, sure. then, and then we'll move on. Possibly, it depends on mm-hmm. what happens. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I've, it's occurred to me before, but, you know, we have so much more work to do on this one before we're going to move on to that. But, I mean, it makes sense. It's like I can imagine maybe five years from now uh, when, you know, Mandarin Blueprint is hopefully still alive and well as a company and we're, you know, uh, we've already made the materials that we want to make. You've got the so, Arabic Blueprint you know. and you've got the uh, <laughs> well, I doubt, Blueprint. Well, the thing is I would say that I doubt that it would be – you know, because we were just – what made you say this was the patent pending status that we have? I think it would be harder to get any kind of patent pending status on a different language because Chinese is a bit unique in that way. Maybe with Japanese we could do it, but like uh, it, the character learning method within it is pretty essential because it's like the order that you learn the characters in. I think that would be harder to come up with something that is unique and unobvious to somebody who's versed in the art and in both theory and implementation for a language that has like a Roman alphabet or something like that. I think it'd be. But then again, we don't necessarily have to come up with the patent for the language. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that, like, um, that's... Just uh, to make the thing, so... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. All right, so... All right. Uh, let's see here. So let's go to some of the questions that we had coming in. So, let's see. Oh, yeah, well, you've got it up there, Luke. What's yeah. uh, the first question that might be relevant to, to Charlie? Well, uh, the first question that we've got here is from Sydney Green on character 207. So he's doing quite well there with the... Progress. A bit more of a comment, but it's worth uh, discussing. Yeah, hui, as in return to return. New vocabulary unlocked. The dialogues are getting longer, and the top-down words—that's words that he hasn't learned the characters for necessarily—are more numerous. And I love it. So challenging and exciting when you realize that you can actually read this more demanding stuff. What a great course this is. Oh yeah. Thanks well, so the, the his point there that the top-down words become more numerous, and he loves it. So. Uh, so a top-down word is basically just any word that is – you haven't learned the characters through the method properly, so therefore you would still need the opinion and the definition for it. But if you have a sentence that where every other word in the sentence is uh, a character or word that you've already learned, then you don't need the opinion for those because that's what's nice about the hands of the movie method. You know what the opinion is already and you're mm-hmm. reviewing them in Anki so you don't forget them. And so at the beginning, adding in top-down words is more challenging because it's like, well – you have so little context, but I don't know if this is your experience, but the further you get in the language, the more that you have things like uh, paragraphs and dialogues and articles and stories, the easier it is to learn words that you never saw before, even if you don't necessarily know the characters. Would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Because you can – you know the context. Right. So as you understand the words uh, which surround an unidentified character or word, mm-hmm. you have a lot of clues as to what its meaning is. Also, you have a lot of hints within the character, as you guys know. There's um, sure, yeah. So this must there, be a plant because there's a tree next to it, or this must be an insect because there's a right. little chong chongzipang. That's right. right. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of hints in Chinese. Actually, I find that to be like the the cold logical nature of Chinese is really <laughs> comforting and nice. It's yeah. a lot more predictable than mm. English. You know, English is like a patchwork of sort of illogical components which don't really make a whole lot of sense because it's like people brought this part of the language from this place Nordic, and that part Germanic, from that place. Latin, yeah, it's like a quilt French, which like Greek. doesn't really make sense. And mm. when you encounter something which you don't know, you, you might not not only know the meaning of the word but how to pronounce it, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're a native speaker of English. Yeah, that's true. And in Chinese, you just don't really have that problem at all. So, and that's a real comforting advantage to have. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, it's just essentially a context situation. You don't have any ability to use the other sentences around the the new word you don't know and when you're in the early, early stages you just don't know enough yet. So it's um 100% the case that the further you get along, you've developed some grammar modules. You've developed some ability to sort of recognize oh, that must that's probably a noun, that's probably an adjective, not you necessarily consciously think this stuff, but you sort of figure it out. And so uh, that's great to hear that Sydney's having that experience already at only character 207. So like that's not that far into the course. So it's great to read to that, that though. I, it is so rewarding and so enjoyable. When you can actually read Chinese, you know, I mean, right, when you yeah. first get Without to that stage, especially. yeah, it's so much yeah. fun to to be able to do that. And I feel like the the two really difficult things which most foreigners get stuck on in Chinese, and you guys probably have a better sense of this than I do, but for me has always been the characters and the tones. Mm-hmm. And once you come to terms with those two challenges and really directly approach those two, then I think all the other challenges are really manageable. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I also study... German and Japanese, and the challenges in those languages are different. But like in Japanese, it's grammar, like grammar mm-hmm. structures. Yeah. Uh, or so in, in German, it's like verb conjugations or word conjugations. Right, yeah. And th- that is like so much, uh, like so I get much. Inti- I get intimidated by that. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, sometimes. just a much more challenging problem. I don't know. I, I find that it's every language has its own, you know, really difficult components. But right. in Chinese, I feel like you just have those two. And that's just really not bad once you come to terms with it. Yeah, and that's the whole sort of argument that we're making with uh, why it is that uh, Mandarin actually doesn't have to be as hard as you might think. Because if you can master the characters and figure out, okay, this is exactly how you know what the pinyin is and what the tone is and what it means. This is this works really well and it's based on a bunch of you know evolutionary science of visualization and all of that. Then that it doesn't, you know, it it makes it that much faster to get the hardest part down. And so, like, if somebody said with Japanese, oh, look at this method that helps you understand Japanese grammar much more quickly, it's like, well, good, to get the hard part, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so you that's... know, one thing I also noticed, like, in terms of comparison between learning Japanese and learning Chinese, to a Westerner who doesn't, you know, have any familiarity with either of them, they seem very similar they're actually very different, although they share a lot of things. You know, there's three syllabaries in Japanese, mm-hmm. one of which is the kanji, which is traditional Chinese. So if you have familiarity with that in Chinese, that gives you a big advantage in Japanese. Sure. But when I find that I'm, you know, learning Japanese, which I've been doing for the last couple of years, there's so many high-quality resources for learning Japanese, so many more for Japanese than there are for Chinese. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's funny because when I look at, like, learning Chinese, that this is why Men Blueprint, like, is so striking to me because right. there's such a dearth of high-quality resources to learn Chinese, whereas in Japanese, they're so numerous. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of good that you guys are, you know, I feel like if you were doing the same kind of program in Japanese, it'd be a lot more difficult to get visibility or to be acknowledged for doing something that's like a really breakthrough method because the quality of resources for that language are so great. Maybe because Japan has been sort of integrated with the global economy for several decades longer than China. I'm not sure what the reason is, but anime I, yeah. maybe, you know, it's who knows? It's not so restricted in terms of what it's allowed to put out as well. We talked about this on our podcast uh, yeah. before. It's like there's heavy restrictions in China on what you're allowed, what content you're allowed to produce. And obviously that restricts creativity and, entertainment in a, to a large degree. Like, I love a lot of Japanese content. I don't, I'm not even learning Japanese yet. You know? What's yeah, weird no. is that it's mostly in art. Um, there's actually a lot more that you can say in like a, 
an article or a podcast or something in China than most people think. Like they think that the same sort of level of restriction is placed there on some of those things. But you think about like the Duodal app, they're talking about all sorts of stuff on there mm-hmm. and it's not restricted. Occasionally, occasionally a couple of uh, their podcasts have gotten blocked, but it's not like the whole platform has gotten blocked. Mm-hmm. But for, with art, blocked they, yet. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that is a little bit of the issue. But with art, it's know. like, you know, that seems to be it seems to be harder with art. But yeah. that's why, you know, you want to look, as you said in the podcast with Charlie, you want to look for the Western thing that's been translated into Chinese and you'll a lot of that. Have, they you know. translate quite a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, some some of it's quite surprising what they translate, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's cool. another question here from uh, Ryan Smith on the Yankee decks. Uh, so we provide Yankee decks with for the, the characters, the words, and the sentences, and the dialogues, and the paragraphs of the dialogues and stories. Everything's got an Yankee card, right? Yeah. But for the sentences, we use closed deletes, which is where you basically delete one of the characters like, temporarily. You have to guess which character is missing based on the context, often with an image involved as well, if you can be bothered to put one in. Um, and he says, while reviewing the closed delete sentences, do you recommend just saying the character while thinking of its meaning or actually write it out? Hmm. I mean, you, you've got a lot of experience with closed deletes. Charlie, what do you think? Um, I've never written anything when working with Anki or with uh, Closed Master, mm. which was recommended by Luke, which is a great alternative, which has a less steep learning curve than Anki. Mm. Um, and I think the reason why it may be beneficial to be writing the characters down as you're doing that, I think the reason why I haven't done that is because what I find with Anki or with Closed Master, that it's all about sort of getting into the flow of it. Uh, as you go through this routine every day, you're probably going through hundreds of cards per day, mm. and it can become a time-consuming process, which is fun once you get into the flow of it. Mm. So there's a certain rhythm to it, and I find that if I were to write down every character while doing that, that would really break the flow for me personally. Right, right. So I just don't even say it aloud. I just say it in my mind mm. mm-hmm. and then grade myself um, you know, based on how accurate that was. Yeah, I think this is more of a personal sort of habit thing. Also, I would point out that the way Anki decks work, we've got an Anki deck for the characters. So as long as you're, you're doing your Anki cards for the, the hands and moving method, the actual character building technique, you don't need to worry about writing it out necessarily mm-hmm. for the sentences unless you just really want to practice your writing, you know, make sure the characters look good and stuff. Right, right. Uh, because Anki is going to be taking care of that whole thing for you. Yeah, and right. if you get character wrong with Anki with the with the, the characters, then obviously that's something you need to work on. You mark yourself wrong, and you will naturally write it. Yeah. So it's brilliance of, of of SRS in general. You know, it's just like every you can count on the fact that if you forgot something, mm. you will see it a lot now. It's like oh, I forgot yeah. something, I will see it now a lot, and then I will remember it. And yeah. so it's great. And and so, but I would say to Ryan, I mean, like when you think about the sentences, when you're at the sentence level. Uh, I would say that your your hope should be that you can say the sentence well, and you've got the native audio of both the male and the yeah. female. Like that, that's what I would focus on mostly. Uh, and especially when you're using it on the phone, you've got the two play buttons, and I think usually it's female first and male second. So Ryan, if you want to go with the male voice, you can just keep hitting the play button on the right when and, you feel like it, of course. Yeah, because that, yeah. that counts as shadowing, and that could be quite intense, like in terms of energy. If you've got like a hundred or two hundred or three hundred sentences to review, yeah, repeating everyone out loud might right. be difficult, but just the ones that you, you fancy doing but the, the goal let the tool do the work right so the goal of those cards is to ident- guess the missing character so as long as you're doing that you're doing the card anything else yeah. is gravy right? well and I always looked at it like stuff. this sometimes you're practicing how quickly you can read right mm. and so you go like how quickly can I figure out what this missing character is go yep I got it right and then move on and then see how quickly you, that, that improves your speed which you know hey if you're going to work towards the HSK 
then, you know, fair enough. You should uh, work on your speed because it's like a time-limited test. But then working on how to langdu, read out loud, will really help your pronunciation, especially if you shadow the uh, native audio on there. So, you know, that's uh, that would be my suggestion to you, Ryan. Leave the writing to the character cards. Yeah, I also personally find that when I first started looking at HSK many years ago, it required an essay portion which was handwritten. Mm. And so for that, it was very important to practice by writing down a lot of characters and being able to ascend, uh, assemble sentences and, and paragraphs with just handwriting. Mm -hmm. But I feel for me personally that that ability has been sort of deprecated in terms of my priorities mm -hmm. because there's just almost never a situation where I'm really handwriting anything. Everything is inputted on a computer or on my phone. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the direction in which, you know, the actual practical use of Chinese is going is different from the past. And for me, that means handwriting is just not that important. Um, when I handwrite Chinese, it looks like something a small Chinese child has written. Right, and like right. my girlfriend loves to tease me about this. She's like, oh, it's super cute. It looks like a little kid. And she's right. It is. It's just <laughs> right. because I just do not spend time focusing on that because it seems like there are really rapidly diminishing returns on that. Oh, right. massively. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, think about it like this. So my prop for uh, bao, which means wrapped up, is a, a backpack I had for like 12 years in like elementary school to high school. Because uh, uh, and so when I imagine that in my mind, I know to write, you know, the component for that. But if I'm and it's legible, right? And so once you can write a component that's based on your visualization legibly, then you can write. Now, then the question is, does it look beautiful? And, then, you know, unless you care, then no, it's not going to. Because yeah, you have if to, you're, if you're you, interested, have to, you have to do the rote writing it over and over if you want to have very nice handwriting. I don't care. Yeah, like, if I'm your just, interest like, is in, like, calligraphy, for example, that's awesome. I have, like, huge appreciation for calligraphy. Oh, yeah, and that's like, an almost a different animal, too. Yeah. Totally different animal, but, I mean, really cool. The aesthetic beauty of the Chinese language is apparent, I think, to everybody, mm -hmm. even if you have no interest in being able to reproduce that aesthetic beauty yourself. But I think for the average person, or for me at least, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the time. So uh, I also – I used a scritter a lot years mm -hmm. ago, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, which is like a flashcard system where you're writing down the characters uh, with an app with your finger. Mm -hmm. So I eventually kind of dropped that as a tool which I was using because it just didn't seem like it was uh, bringing me to the, the type of mastery that I could really use. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, so it's like it's you want to make sure you focus on the right aspects of it. All right. So next we have a question from Chad. He says, hey, guys, I had something come across my Facebook feed and wanted to ask you about it. There's a screenshot attached. It'll be in the notes. With colors like bai, which I learned recently, do you always add the su afterwards? And in the picture you'll see we've got, you know, a bunch of the general colors in uh, Chinese, you know, and so on. And these are you know, white, black, red, green, and so forth. And all of them end in su. And of course, su is uh, it's an interesting character because it also has an alternate meaning that's very like a sort sexuality. of sexual, sexuality and sexual. Sometimes there's even like a, uh, if you write something that has that on like live stream platforms, they won't let you post it because they assume Especially it's like... number six on there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is yellow. And they also... They'll, they'll call something a huangpian, which means a, a say, say, a porno. Yeah. Um, and so they, they say yellow. Yeah, we say blue for that, don't we? And then there's mm. another culture. Oh. They different, have different colors for that represent sex or yeah, sexuality yeah. in different – anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so, it's interesting. Um, so anyway, so the answer to this question is that 
in the case of well, first of all, all of these are biased words. So if we if you go to actually we haven't released it yet because it's the eighth part of our um, uh, eight part series on vocabulary that are coming out every Thursdays, but it'll be a couple weeks from now that part will come out. And mm -hmm. biased words are where the second character is the more important character; it's the main gist of what it is, and then the first character is just adjusting it. So like. So in this case means color as in the concept of color. Like, you know, I'm wearing a red shirt. It's not, you know, a um, color as in, like if I were going to say uh, uh, black tea or let's say green tea, right? I would not say so. Yeah, you wouldn't say lu yeah, cha. So when right. it's used as a within a word, basically, as right. part of another word, meaning like the concept white of wine, color. for yeah. example, bai putao You don't say bai se putao jiu because that means literally it's it's wine that is white, <laughs> like that is yeah, yeah. You know, right, yeah. like painted white as opposed to actually white wine. So right. So the, what we're have what we're looking at here is when you're just talking about the general color of something, just as a you know, when you teach it to kids. Uh, that's what the se represents, but you can use any of the so the you know, the specificity of the color you know bai uh, meaning white, hei meaning black. That you can put in front of other things to indicate that it's the you know black version of that thing or it's the red version of that thing, and then you can drop the se. Mm -hmm. But if you're just talking about the color in and of itself, then yeah, you can. You, yeah, you this is just a list of colors. You mm -hmm. can't just apply those two characters to other things. Yeah. Right. You, you generally don't. Yeah, generally not. Yeah. Mm. So that's a good question from uh, from Chad, and it sort of gives an example of how sort of dynamic characters can be. It's like you, mm. you know, that's why you want to learn character by character. By the way, because like if you learn word by word, mm. you're gonna think that saying red is always hong se, right? You're not gonna think that no, no, red is hong, right? And then and anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. Big advocates for characters. All right, so another one here. A from, great way to learn oh. that is just to like fuse like pleco or something like that. Just put in the character of the color, and you'll yeah. see a whole list yeah. of associated words things. containing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'll, that'll give you a, a good example mm -hmm. of how that. that how the so it's gone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Sydney Green on character two hundred and sixteen. Gwen as in to close or shut. Uh, new vocabulary unlocked. Why the duplication of? Uh, it actually should be guanxin guanxin. Guanxin guanxin. Yeah, as I was yeah. saying. What, what For, he, he must have uh, copied it incorrectly. But the way oh, right, what right. he's referring to is the oh, sentence. Oh, yeah. He's got the, uh, the last sentence. You guanxin yourself. You should guanxin guanxin others. And so that uh, sentence, guanxin mm. is repeated. And it basically means like, don't only think about yourself. You should also care about other people. Because that's what guanxin means. And so... You know how 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 would you describe the duplication? Well, of a I word already like answered this? him. I just basically said it's a softener. It's essentially a softener. Mm, it's just yeah, like, it's a good, yeah, exactly. It's like saying maybe you should you know take care of other people, <laughs> think about other people a little bit, rather than saying you should care about other people more. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, it's like guanxin guanxin it's, it's like it's the same as English. I mean, I, I don't have the same analytical approach to the structure of sentences in the mm. same way that you guys do. So I don't mm. approach it from like a academic point of view. But it's just like don't only care about yourself, care about other people. Right, right. So if you're an English speaker, then I feel like it should make sense because it's structurally almost identical. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just it, uh, I, it's funny because I also don't really approach grammar in an academic sense because it makes me hate grammar. I hate, hate Chinese grammar. Whereas if I just think of it like – because when I when I saw this, I was like, "What is the reason?" I like totally the feel feeling? it. Yeah, I totally it the feel it when he says. It, yeah. And you're right. It's it, when you double up. You know, even just kan kan is a way of kind of just 
softening up something. Oh, have a look, you know. And so oh, there's, there's tons of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's like what this up. is. It's just basically a double up of guanxin guanxin. So it's, that's um, that's all it is. If you see that, you know it's a little bit softer. And this is why you know you want to continue to end up seeing things in the context of like TV shows and and movies if you can, because then you get to you get to see the greater context in which somebody's saying this. You know, at this stage in the yeah. course, you guys are. Only... I, I actually misread that sentence. There, yeah. So guanxin is three times in there. Uh, right, yeah, well, it comes up here, but it's specifically right. in the second half where it's, it's uh, Yeah, exactly, it's precisely up. a software. That would actually count exactly as a word it in itself, I believe. Right, right, yeah. yeah that's how they do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... It's kind of a more cute way of putting things. Yeah, yeah I, I guess think that, this person's that trying is to be definitely... tactful in the sentence, probably. Like, they're trying to be like, all right, you're, you're kind of being a bit selfish, but I'm going to try to tactfully tell you maybe you should think about yeah. other people. Yeah, yeah. It's like a hand on your shoulder. It's like, listen, buddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's that sort of tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. rather than a finger in the face. Let's, uh, the, at least the part of the podcast with Charlie, let's uh, finish it there. Charlie, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Man, really Thank you, guys. It. Thank you, guys. I just, last thing I want to say, you guys are so thoughtful and so respectful for taking all this time to give such uh, substantial replies to, like, what I consider to be, like, a lot of pithy commentary, mm. which is I consider to kind of be beneath you. But I think it's just because you two are just such nice guys. And I think that a lot of people um, acknowledge that and can see that. But uh, I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you, guys, though. All right, great. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thanks, Charlie.